He is the King of Glory. Amen. And we ought to be living our lives in the glory, from the glory, um, and not be earthbound people. But set your mind, set your affection on things above, the Bible tells us. And particularly at this time when there's so much darkness, the Bible speaks about Arise, shine, your lights come, the glory of God has risen upon you, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people. So it's so important for us to be people of the glory. Well, in 1 John chapter 3, we're continuing our look at 1 John. Thoughts on 1 John is our theme, it's our series. So we're quite well into it now, quite a few weeks into it. And 1 John chapter 3, and let's just go through it, see how far we get. I don't know that we'll cover it all today, it's 24 verses, and there's a lot packed in here. So, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. It reminds us of that wonderful hymn by Stuart Townend, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Amen? Uh, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Now it's one thing... To be saved is one thing, to receive of God's grace and mercy and become Christians. But he goes beyond just forgiving us. He goes beyond just redeeming us. He makes us sons and daughters. And that's a wonderful thing, to be part of his family, to be the children of God, to be the sons of God, and to live as his children in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation which this generation certainly qualifies. So it's a glorious thing. It's, it shows John is telling, and John was known as the apostle of love. John was the one who leaned upon Jesus' bosom. He was regarded as being the closest to Jesus among all the apostles. He was the only one that stayed with Jesus at, when Jesus was on the cross. And so he's the apostle of love, and he's talking here, he says, Consider the love that the Father has for us, that going way beyond just saving us, he calls us his sons. And the interesting thing about that is, is that you're a son or a daughter of God the minute you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen? Because you're born of him. You're born of his word. You're born of his spirit. You are... uh, your spiritual DNA, God is your Father. And the Bible says the spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. Um, so you need to experience that, and I'm sure we all have, to know that we are sons or daughters of the living God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And that's the interesting thing, because when you become a born-again child of God, a Christian then you enter a new relationship, not only with God, but with the world. Because the world doesn't, uh, the world doesn't really recognize you anymore. They'll say, oh well, that's, uh, that's Big Davy, but there's something different about him. Yeah? There's something, you've changed Davy, what is it? And some people will see the change for the better, and they'll, they'll make be curious and want to know, what is it you have now you didn't have before? And others will resent you for it because it says, uh, you know, the world 
Uh, it doesn't know you because it didn't know him. So some folks become hostile to you when you become a Christian. Have you, have you noticed that? I've noticed that. And there's, oh, you're a Bible thumper now. Don't talk to me about all that Christian stuff. Uh, and so sometimes, as I said, people respond well because they see there's a difference. Um, but the, in general, the world doesn't really know us because it doesn't understand. The natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit. So people that are not Christian find it difficult to relate to you um, and it either makes them curious to find out what you've got and want it for themselves or they just say, oh, you're one of those holy rulers now. Amen? And you know, if they, if they didn't like you before you became a Christian, they might like you even less once you have. Anyway, praise the Lord. It doesn't really matter because it's all about being a child of God and understanding that that is the, the love of God that makes us that. Then he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God? And some people would maybe have a notion that you become a son of God when you leave the earth and go to heaven. Well, that's when you become a son. That's when you become a daughter. But, not, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become sons of God. And John here says, now are we the sons of God. We are sons right now. And you understand this word sons is not really meant to be masculine. Uh, as in it's just the men, you ladies are, you don't really qualify. It's just men that are sons of God. It's just really saying we're children of God. Okay, so sons and daughters we could say. And it does not yet appear. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that's going to take a little bit of unpacking to explain that, because there's a lot in there. And it's saying that if, if somebody looks at you right now and, and, and they just see you um, and you say well he just looks like he's always been sometimes people look at us and they, they'll say things like oh you're, you're, you're glowing you're radiant, you know there's a light about you but that doesn't always happen so when people look at you especially if you've got a, a grumpy face you know that old saying if you're happy you know it, clap your hands well if you're saved and you know it tell your face amen, because a lot of people walk about, I'm happy. <laughs> uh, I'm full of joy. So in other words, we, we don't judge people by appearance, do we? What he's saying is, you can't always see what's going on in the, in the inside. In other words, you can't see that you're a son or a daughter of God. Especially if you've got a doer face. Um, and many of us do. I'm so grateful Agnes isn't here, right? <laughs> and uh, if she finds out somebody's told her and I'll find no 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 uh, but it says does not yet appear it's not yet been revealed sometimes people just look at you and say I don't see much change but it says when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and what that means is is that the real you the inner you the one that's been born the spirit man the, inner, the hidden man of the heart the bible calls it looks exactly like Jesus. 
And when you take away all the flesh, when you take away all the, all the, the trappings of, you know, uh, your body, and, you know, you, you might be old, you might be broken down and everything else. When you take all that away, but the inner you, the Bible actually says your inner man is renewed day by day. So when you see him face to face, it'll be like looking in a mirror. That's what that, that's saying there in the Greek. You'll see him as he is because you will be. It says we shall be. What does it say? It says when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Amen. You might not be like him just now on the outside, but you're like him on the inside and when he shall appear. I had an experience um, about uh, coming up for eight years now, seven years ago, my mum passed away. And, um, you know, uh, they knew my mum quite well. And the night that she passed away, I had uh, a vision of the Lord and my mum standing at his side. And she was dressed in a, in a gold gown and she was, she was beautiful, but she wasn't 70 in the vision. She was a perfect, say about 30. And, you know, it wasn't, oh, she spoke to me and I spoke, it was just the Lord showed me. And that's what really, when, we are, when he appears, we shall be like him. And it was the Lord showed me as she really is. And every one of us is like that, if you're saved, if you're born again. That's who you are on the inside, you're just like him. And it, you, it's the perfect you. Amen? Because it's the real you. The real you is not your body. Your body is just your earth suit, the thing you... You, it carries around the real you, your spirit and your soul. And when you leave this earth, your body just, you know, has no life in it. But the real you, the life, the spirit, the soul, goes absent from the body, present with the Lord. And when you got there, you're not going to be, you know, broken down old and decrepit and, oh, my lumbago or whatever it is, or frozen shoulder, or whatever it is, you will be perfect, because as he is, so are we. But that's talking about the inner man. In fact, that, that, that verse I just quoted there is later on, and we'll look at that in First John chapter 4 when we get there. But he's saying the real you is just like Jesus. And you know, it's the real you that needs to come out. Because... It's the real you that, that the world needs to see. The world needs Jesus. And you're all the Jesus that some folks are ever going to see. Does that make sense? So let him live big in you. We sometimes create a set of rules and regulations. Things we must do as, as Christians. And it's just religion. The Christian life is not trying to live by rules and regulations. And, and guidelines and all that. The, the Christian life is letting Jesus live big in you. So let him out, folks, and let him love a broken and dark world through you. Amen. So you'll see him as he is, and you'll be like him, and it'll be like looking in a mirror. And I, get, I, I bet you this, when that happens, you'll giggle, and he'll giggle. Because you'll be amazed 
that he's just like you and you're just like him. He's just like you. <laughs> so praise God for that. And you mention, oh, that's, that's, you can't say that. I'm so sinful, I'm so unworthy. Well, you might have those feelings, you might have those emotions, but that's not who he created. See, when you get born again, you are recreated, a new creation in Christ. And it's not um, an imperfect creation. You're created perfect in him in your inner man. There's a lot of stuff in our lives that we allow to drown that out at times and obscure that, but that's why we need to renew our minds and that's why we need to live close to him so that we can manifest the perfect Jesus that lives in us and the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. You know, sometimes when you're reading the King James, you've got all these transgresseth you know, or the ths, some things. But it's still the best translation, isn't it? Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Now, there's a sense in which you say, well, that's quite obvious. If you commit sin, you're breaking God's law. But people need to be told that. People need to be told that to do something wrong isn't just you made a mistake you failed, you, you know, you must do better. It's called sin. Now, sin does mean to fall short of God's glory. And that's what we've been singing about this morning. We're actually closed by singing about God's glory. Um, and we want to be people of glory. We don't want to fall short of God's glory. And sin is the falling short of God's glory. And it's also the breaking of his law. And his law is glorious. Amen? Now we're not talking about keeping the, the, the laws of Moses in terms of all the ceremonial laws, you know, like uh, killing heifers and turtle doves and things like that. Jesus has fulfilled all that part of, of the law. But we can still break the, the civic code of Moses. And the Bible tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. So if, if you love your neighbor, you love your brother, you love your sister, you won't break the law. But, you know, if you gossip, if you hold grudges, if you do things uh, that are nasty, then you're breaking that law, the law of love. And under the new covenant, we're, we're still commanded to love. And we'll see that again, it's all in First John. So much is in First John. I ought to say this, I haven't said it in our studies yet, but there are some people who believe that the Johannine, or Johannine, in other words, all the writings of John, are in a sense more relevant and come into effect more at the end of time or the end of the ages that we live in times, if you're living in the end times, that the writings of John, because Revelation was written by John, are more and more pertinent to us. You know, we've had uh, so much of Pauline theology, which is the Apostle Paul, and the great writings of the Reformation um, were very much based on Paul's uh, epistles and so on. But we're living in times where what John has to say is far more relevant perhaps than at any other time in history because he wrote a great deal about the end times. 
So anyway, he says, whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the breaking of God's law. So if you don't put God first, you broke his law. If you don't, if you create a, an idol in your heart, uh, and it could be anything. It, it, an idol is something you put before God. Then you broke God's law. If you um, steal or bear false witness, things like that, you tell a lie, then you broke God's law. So he's just saying sin is the breaking of God's law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So here's how it works he's saying we're all sinners. Hands up if you're not a sinner. As in, you've never ever sinned, you've never broke God's law, you've never, did, you know, you've never said anything nasty, thought anything nasty, or whatever. None of us could put our hands up. And, but he says, Jesus was manifested to take away all our sins. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. Okay, we were sinners, but Jesus came and bore our sins. And it's not just that he took our sins, he took away our identity as sinners and gave us identity of being the righteousness of God, of saints, set apart ones, holy ones. You might not always live up to it, but that's still your identity. Amen? You might not act, uh, you know, like you are something, but you, know, you might not always act like you're part of somebody's family, but if you're part of the family, you're part of the family. You can't erase your identity. That makes sense? He was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. In him is no sin. Now, what that means is Jesus had no sin in him. And here we get into this idea because he, watch what he says in, in, in the beginning. He says, we are the sons of God. Well, Jesus was the son of God, wasn't he? So he's telling us that who Jesus was and is, he's saying that he transferred that identity to us. He was the son of God. Now are we the sons of God? Yeah? And it says here, watch this. Now are we the sons of God. When he shall appear, we will be like him. We will be like him. So it says here, we know that he's manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. What he's really telling us here is this, is that who Jesus is and was He's transferred to us. It's not saying that we don't sin or we don't mess up, but it's saying that our identity, how God views us, is no longer as hell-bound sinners, but he views us the same way he views Jesus, as a son. And the perfect, sinless, the man without sin, Jesus, he is, in effect, standing before us, before God. So whenever God looks at us, all he sees is Jesus. 
and in him is no sin. He's not saying that we don't mess up, and I'm not trying to say to you today, oh, you can do what you want, you know, it's not, it's not sin anymore, that's, that's lies. But what it's saying, as it says in other places, we have an advocate with the Father. And not only that, we have a man who will stand before God, and when God, the Father, and uh, uh, our high priest, and when God looks at him, he sees no sin. So if the man with no sin is covering you, God sees no sin in you. From a legal point position. Now, do you understand that? He has taken the penalty upon him. Now, you know, this is good preaching, folks. You're allowed to say, Amen. Amen. You will not be thrown out. But it says, in him is no sin. Isn't that wonderful? Because the Bible says we're in him. We're in Christ and he's in us. So all the, all the horrible darkness and mess that we've done and maybe still do from time to time, his blood covers that. And he covers it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, he's perfect love. So he's covering us. And he's working in us. He's not just saying, well, I'll just cover up all that bad stuff. He's working in us to perfect us so that we walk holy before him. It's, you know, we're covered every side. We're covered legally and we're covered practically. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. You see, that's what I'm trying to say. If you abide in him, it says you sinneth not. And that's not, again, he's not meaning you'll never sin, you'll never make a mistake, you'll never do something bad, you'll never trip up, you'll never get angry again, you'll never have road rage again. Think about that, that'd be wonderful. Wouldn't it? Imagine you never have a road rage again. But, he's, but if I abide in him, I won't have road rage. But if I think, well, I don't need to abide in him, I don't need to do all that stuff, that's just, you know, that's just religious stuff, that's, you know, I can do my own thing, I can live life on my own terms, I'm saved anyway, but I'll do my own thing, well, that won't work. Then I'll be road raging in every road. But if I abide in him, I won't. So the secret to success in life is to abide in him. Stay close to Jesus. And it says, Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And he's not talking there about if you ever sin, you've never known him. He's talking about people who are living the lives of sinners. Does that make sense? If you're living a sinning lifestyle and you haven't repented and you haven't changed, then you don't know him. And you can backslide. I was speaking to you later. In fact, I did a radio interview the other day. Um, for some Christian radio station um, down in London. And the lady that interviewed me, um, she was interviewing me about George Best, because my dad was his agent. And this lady had sent uh, a Bible, I think, and a tract to George Best. And she didn't know, you know, she just believed that it would work. But she was told a couple of years later that we think it was her tract and her letter or whatever that George gave his heart to the Lord three weeks before he died. And I knew that anyway, I knew that he'd given his life to the Lord. His sister was a Christian, and my dad was his agent. So when I was a young boy, a teenager, my dad, loads of Christians would write to George Best. And my dad said to me, well, you know, George doesn't get the time to write back to all these people, but he did appreciate 
been praying for him. You know, it was a comfort to me. He came from a Christian background and some of his family. His sister's a, a very fervent Christian, and I think her prayers and ministry also was involved. But my dad says, you write back to these Christian folks, because my dad knew I was a born-again Christian. And so I got quite friendly with a guy called Ken Stallard, who was an evangelist back in the day, uh, and quite a colourful character. I think he'd had quite a colourful life before he became a Christian. And he wrote, he'd written a couple of books and he sent them to George. So I corresponded with this guy, Ken Stallard. Um, and then, of course, and to say to him, my, my dad's his agent, and I'm praying for him too, and loads of Christians well, they, they would say I've got a real burden. And this lady that interviewed me, uh, she found out about it all, uh, my involvement in it all. So she interviewed me for her. She's got a radio station, a radio uh, show, and we spoke about that. But this guy, Ken Stallard, also led personally, this is the glorious thing, Ron and Reggie Craig to Christ before they died. They sincerely repented. And in fact, they sought him out, they, they'd read about it. One of them asked him to come, and the other then asked him to come. And before they both died, not long before they died, they gave their hearts to Jesus. And he was a, it was a great uh, interview that because we were rejoicing that God could save the very worst. Now, you know, we're not being judgmental, but Ron and Reggie Cray, let's be honest, amen. But again, as this lady said, they, they lived by a certain code and they respected their mother and all that. But the key thing is that they gave their hearts to the Lord. Now, I don't know why I started all that. I was on a train of thought. But it says here, yet, um, whosoever abideth in himself, whosoever sinneth, hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, we might know some sinners, we might know some folks that need Jesus. That's why it's so important to pray. Not just for the celebrities like George Bess and the Craze and others, and she's just told me about our latest project, a certain person, uh, a very famous person she's going after. And it's great to have that ministry. And we can pray for famous folks too, but we, we ought to be praying for our loved ones that don't know the Lord. We ought to be praying for uh, people. And we've lost that in the church, haven't we? The burden for souls that we used to have. Uh, I, I lament that we no longer live in a Christian culture where the burden for souls is so important. We need to get it back. We're not all called to be evangelists, but we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. So let's get evangelistically minded. And there are people that have not seen him, neither known him, and it's our job to pray that they get introduced. Amen. And we leave it up to the Lord how he does that. So anyway, then he says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And that's talking about fruit. He says, you know, you can't be deceived if someone says they're a Christian, but they're not living the life. They're not walking the walk. They're talking the talk. We've all known people like that, haven't we? In church. Which is the saddest place to find people like that. You get people out there, you know, they tell you how good a person they are and so on. But it's sad to see in church people who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And he says, don't let anybody deceive you. He could have said here, you'll know them by the fruits. 
This, this is wonderful uh, stuff in First John here. And then he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now, again, I want to emphasize, he's not saying here that if you mess up and do something bad, do something wicked or wrong, you know, if you go on the way home and shout ball at somebody in front of you in road rage, he's not saying that's proof you're of the devil. What he's saying is if your lifestyle is always sinning and you're not really all that bothered that you're of the devil. Okay? So, but sin is, he that committeth sin is of the devil. But sin is your problem, not the devil's. Isn't it? It's not the devil's problem. Because he, he, he is, the Bible says, the devil sinneth from the beginning. But his end is assured. There's no repentance, there's no mercy. It's the lake of fire for him. But your relationship with God and your relationship with sin, if you're not a Christian, then you need to repent of that sin and give your heart to the Lord so that you're no classed as of the devil. There are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's no Switzerland in the spirit realm. There's no neutral realm. Oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to... I don't want to be the devil, but I don't want that Christian stuff. I don't want that holy roller stuff. So I'll just be in, in Switzerland. There is no Switzerland. He that is not for me is against me. Amen? So, anyway, we know that. I'm, but he is reiterating that. But look what he says. This is, and we'll close here because we're out of time, so we'll pick this up next week. For this purpose. What purpose? Well, the fact that people sin. The fact that they're in the devil's control. The fact that they're in darkness. The fact that they're lost for eternity. In other words, they're, they're goners without Christ. But for this purpose that this exists, darkness and a lost eternity, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might destroy the works of the devil in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, in our finances, in our bodies, in our societies, in our nation. Amen. That Jesus was manifested that we, that he would destroy the works of the devil. That you and I can live righteous, holy lives and that you and I can walk and live in the glory. And it's all about glory today. You either live in the glory or you live in darkness. We all make that choice. If you haven't made that, made that choice, then make it today in the quietness of your living room or your bedroom. Go before God and say, I choose to be a child of God. Please come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I'm sure we've all made that decision. But just in case you haven't, ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Saviour. And he will come in. And you will then be a son of or a daughter of the living God. Lord bless you folks. We'll pick this up again next week.